in the wine. And uh, yeah, you don't live in the forest of the Dean, I tell you. <laughs> I get complaints from ev- people every week about how disruptive our children are, but we love our children. And it's important that we have children in church, isn't it? Because uh, there will be no church in the future. Now, uh, I must have a little confession at the beginning. You sh- you're never supposed to start with an apology, but uh, I've never spoken on this subject before. Uh, one of the beauties of arranging the teaching program in our church, I give all the difficult subjects to other people. Uh, and so I only just pick all the ones I enjoy. Uh, but it's been, it's been a good discipline for me going through this, and uh, I've enjoyed it. It's been a challenge. And, uh, of course, um, I don't know where the... Oh, there we go. Um, I, I, I see Levi's jeans, and so I, I, we, that's why we had to coordinate what we wore. Uh, so neither of us are wearing Levi's jeans. Uh, it's just Andrew's washed his more than I've washed mine. And uh, anyway, that was, that was just a happy accident. <laughs> but actually, I don't think that's what you're really thinking about this morning. So I'm, I'll keep pointing it in the wrong direction. It's got to be over there, isn't it? Uh, I think we're looking more at genealogy and uh, the genes in Jesus Christ. Um, rather than the jeans he was wearing. Now, I doubt whether he was wearing any jeans. And um, so that's why we're looking at Luke chapter 3, and verses 23, right through to the end of the chapter. Now, um, about a year ago, um, so, well, more near, several years ago, someone in our church gave me uh, a family, the sort of a history of my father's side of the family. And um, I've, I've known my mother's side of the family quite well. We've gone back a few generations, and uh, I've, we worked that one out. If anyone's ever been to Gorsley Baptist, well, you've met all my relatives because on that side of the family, because the Golding family uh, sort of make up 50% of Gorsley Baptist Chapel, and uh, my mother was a Golding. And just in case we don't aren't related to that, those Goldings, well, my, my dad's mother was also a Golding, so we're pretty well related to all the Goldings in the whole world, one way or another. Uh, so I knew that side of the family is a big farming family. The other side of the family, my dad's side, was a building uh, family. And we knew they sort of came from London somewhere, but we didn't know any, any more about that than the family than that. But anyway, this guy came up to me one day and presented me with a, a family tree that traced the, the Cracknell family back not just to London, but uh, several centuries later back to a little village in Suffolk called I. Anyone ever been there? Yeah, one or two of you people. Right, okay. Well, it's a bit like Cinderford. It actually smells like Cinderford. It's got an abattoir there. <laughs> and abattoirs tend to stink. Uh, actually, you'll be pleased to know the one in Cinderford, they actually rebuilt it and it doesn't smell anymore. So it's quite nice. But the I one stinks. And um, we, we went there and uh, Katrina, and, you know, I, I take my wife on the most exciting of breaks. So we went for a very romantic couple of days in I to study the graveyard. Um, yes, uh, you're looking horrified at me. You know, you, romance, you know, romance is still alive in the Forest of Dean. It's not de- oh. uh, And so we studied the graveyards looking for cracknels. And uh, so when we saw a cracknel, when we got very excited, yay, there's another cracknel here. And uh, we were able to find uh, someone who was sort of related down through my family line, sort of several generations back, which was which is fun. It was good. And we enjoyed it. Oh, I did. And Katrina was very gracious and patient. And uh, she entered into the spirit of it. And uh, we, we found several graveyards. And um, we, we had a, an interesting day just searching out our my my family genes and uh, it's it's interesting just to sort of just to get a feel you know just even just walking and seeing the villages around Suffolk and where I live now which is a very rural part of England too and uh, you sort of get a flavour for what previous generations experienced 
And so there's quite a lot in a genealogy. There's quite a lot we can learn and uh, we can pick up from a genealogy. And actually, as I've discovered, there's so much actually in this genealogy. But there's, I, I thought, first of all, maybe we just ask, and basically I'll ask three questions. You know, first question, why on earth did Luke include a genealogy of Jesus in his gospel? There already was one in Matthew. Uh, why did he do that? Well, we, to, to answer that question, we're going to think, well, what was his audience? You see, Luke was uh, one of Paul's traveling companions, and um, he, w- he wrote the book of Luke in, in the Greek, so it was going to the Greek-speaking world. And so he was looking at that audience, an audience with uh, a, a, a Gentile audience who maybe had a little bit of understanding of the Jewish culture, but not that much. And so he was coming from that perspective. And so he was wanting to, to show things about uh, Jesus that were relevant to people who were Gentiles. Matthew wrote uh, for a Jewish audience. And so in, in Matthew's Gospel, when we see the genealogy, um, that was written particularly thinking of Jews. And, so, uh, and there's a big difference there. So he went back to, to David and to Abraham and, and stopped, it, uh, stopped there. Of course, for a Gentile audience, that wasn't so important. So he went right back up to Adam. And so he took it further, right back to the very beginning, uh, where people could relate to. And it's interesting, in Luke's perspective, he writes it in, in a reverse order. Uh, and so instead of coming down from Adam, working down, he, he worked back from Jesus, back that way. And of course, it then finishes at Adam. And, uh, and, and so it ties us all into it. So those of us who are Gentiles, I doubt there's many Jews here this morning. And yet, so we can relate to this because he was wanting to connect with his audience. But then there's another question which those of you who studied the Bible will have come across this one. It's the kind of thing that comes up in home groups. You know, why does Joseph have a different father's name in Luke from Matthew? And um, anyone had that question raised? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? And... Um, of course, we, we, can, we can look through and we can see um, that they have two different names there. Uh, Heli, uh, Heli in Luke and Jacob in Matthew. And uh, there's lots of explanations, or lots of people try to explain this. I'm sure Roger will be able to do this much better than I can do it. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's lots of people come up with ideas as to why there's, there, there's different names here. And uh, I'm just going to run through two of the most likely ones. Uh, and so the first one is simply that Jesus, it's quite possible that it could have been that Jesus, he was quoting Jesus' line actually through Mary as opposed to Joseph. Now, a lot of people think that could be true. The great famous theologian Matthew Henry is a big fan of that uh, line of thinking. There is a few problems with it, especially when you read Luke 1 verse 27, when you get home, and you'll see that uh, Luke seems to tie um, the, the David, the line, the royal line of David into Joseph rather than Mary. So you think, well, was that, that, did that fit? Um, but it's, I'm sure there's other explanations. So you could go with that one. Uh, the other line, which probably ties into our, our, our title, which I suspect is the reason that the, what, what Andrew and the, the elders here were thinking, was they had a thing called a Levite marriage. Now it's possible that Joseph could have had a natural father, a biological father, but also a legal father, and they were two different people. So the one uh, genealogy went through his natural father, the other went through his biological father. So hence you have two different family trees, both ending up with David and then, of course, through to Adam. Um, 
You see, in the, if you're not familiar with the Levite marriage, um, this was a, a, a second marriage when someone whose uh, husband had died and hadn't left them with any children. And so the brother would be obligated to marry that woman and to give them children. So it's summarized in Matthew 22, where uh, uh, someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, Moses says if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. So that was uh, something that they would happen in Jewish uh, times. So that was a possibility. I can't say which is the definitive one. It might be another. But there are logical reasons why there, could, why, why there would be two different family trees. And so the main thing is we know that these family trees were put together, these uh, genealogies, with great de- attention to detail. The Jews were very hot on their family tree, especially if it was involving a priest or someone who was important. And so we can have confidence that they're, they're both correct and there's a good explanation. We're not totally sure. But we're going to go with the Levi's ones today, the Levi jeans. Uh, so uh, that's, that, that, that fits. I think that's probably where my, my steer is. <laughs> I could take a hint. Um, so uh, so we're, we're running with that one today. So then a third question, which is what I wanted to dwell on really, mainly, oh, you'll get them. No, you won't get them early. We've got communion. Uh, is what did Luke's, uh, Luke's uh, Gentile audience need to hear? What do they need to hear? Why did Luke include a genealogy of Jesus in his gospel? What was he trying to say to them that he wanted to convey, which was really, really important? What was it? Well, I just come up with four things. Could have come up with 24, but I just narrowed it down to four, which I thought were perhaps four of the most important. And uh, these are what I've come up with. First of all, they need to take note most importantly, he wanted, they need to take note of Jesus. You see, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was someone that the Jews obviously needed to take note of, but Luke was saying, look, hang on. It's not just about the Jewish nation. It's actually about the whole world. Everybody needs to take notice of Jesus. Because Jesus is, and we'll find this out, read this later on, is what the Bible calls the second Adam. He's the second Adam. So we're all, we all go back to Adam. Where, wherever we trace our family trees, whether they go through someone who lives in I, in a quirky village in Suffolk, or whether you've got a family tree that goes back through some other quirky place, or maybe not so quirky, um, we all go back to Adam at some point. And Jesus is the second Adam. I'll explain that a little bit more uh, as we move through. And so, you know, the, 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 the Greek-speaking world at that time would ask a question, well, if Jesus is that important, how is he qualified for what you say he's qualified for? Why is he important? And they would look to genealogies to prove the, quali- the qualifications of a person. And so um, that, that was how they, they, would, they would judge something. These days we take people on gift. But in those days, you know, if you're a farmer and your father was a farmer, then you're okay, you could be a farmer too. Uh, if you were uh, a plumber, then you could be a plumber because you, there were some qualifications there. Well, these days, the qualification comes from going to college <laughs> and having some training and all these kind of things. So the world has moved on a little bit. But in those days, the qualification came from your family line. And so they were looking and saying, well, how, does, how is Jesus qualified to be this important person that you claim he is? 
How is he qualified? And so Luke unveils this genealogy which reveals Jesus' qualifications. And so what do we find? We find, first of all, that Jesus' supernatural birth marked him out as unique. I mean, anyone else, anyone born here as a result of a virgin birth? No. You see, that doesn't happen. Jesus' birth was unique. He was born of a virgin. He was no ordinary man. He was, in fact, God with skin on. And so, he introduces the the, the, the genealogy by saying this, and this is, by the way, from the New Living Translation. I'm not sure what con- translations you use here, but in the Forest of Zoom, we're very simple folks. We like simple translations. It suits me perfect. Um, uh, and so uh, it says here, Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And then he just throws in this phrase, Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Heli. And you can almost skip over it, especially in the New Living. In the other translations, it says Jesus was thought to be the son of. Or the uh, NIV says, or or, so it was thought. And uh, there's just a little little thing there, and you go, oh, what's he trying to say there? Well, obviously, he's referring to the virgin birth. You know, they thought, people thought he was the son of Joseph. But actually, he was the son of God. Because he was born of a virgin. And, and so it was that fulfillment of the prophecy in um, Isaiah chapter 7. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And of course, I'm sure we're going to dwell on that over these next few weeks. So I'm not going to steal someone else's thunder. Um, but of course, we know that after the angel came to Joseph and explained that Mary was pregnant, and he got over the shock, picked himself up off the floor, it then goes on and it says in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 1, verse 25, it says that he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. You see, Jesus was born as a result of a virgin birth. It was supernatural. It was different. It marked him out as someone unique. Someone who had different from any other person who had walked this earth before or will ever walk it again. Jesus was born of a virgin. Just that one little little phrase there, you know. He was thought to be known as the son of. And yet there's so much <laughs> hidden in those words, isn't there? Just like every other verse in scripture. But then secondly, he wanted them to know that Jesus' roots demonstrated that he, that's Jesus, is the fulfillment of God's promise. That Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise. You see, all the way through the, the, the Bible, God had promised that he would send his deliverer, his son, his chosen one, the Messiah, Jesus. And he would come from the royal line of descent, from the royal line of David. And of course what we read in this genealogy goes back through King David. But not only that, he would also go back and, uh, to the father of, of Israel, Abraham. And of course... Jesus' genealogy goes back, right back to Abraham. And, uh, and, and so, of course, then he goes back even further, as I mentioned earlier on, to Adam. And um, we find that, uh, we find that uh, it goes right back to Adam. And so Jesus fulfills all the credentials needed 
to be God's promised chosen one who he had said right from time hundreds of years earlier saying that he would send him at the right time at just the right time God's son would come and of course he did and so Jesus roots demonstrate that he is the fulfillment of God's promise now my background as you know is for farming and I still do a couple, uh, a, a couple afternoons milking the cows I still enjoy doing that um, I find with cows, if you have any problems, you can shoot them. If you have problems with people, it's not so easy to shoot them. Um, but uh, the, um, uh, so one of my quirky interests is in, in, in genetics, and uh, I, I'm particularly interested in, in uh, breeding. And uh, I, I'm fascinated by breeding dairy cows, trying to breed these elite cows and so on and so forth. And um, I, I'm not so interested in horses, but I did pick up on uh, the other day on the news, I don't know if anybody picked up this uh, news item, but a horse was sold, a little f- a filly, a foal, was sold in Ireland for 1.8 million euros. Just a little fil- uh, filly. And, um, of course, the re- why was that filly so special? Why did it make so much money? I mean, it's about 1.4 million pounds. And uh, another one was put, a close relative was put for sale the other day, but didn't make anything like it. Got about 140,000, I think. So the, the guy selling was a bit disappointed. He thought he was going to really, his boat was going to come in. <laughs> but anyway, um, the reason why that horse made so much money was because he was a, 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 a descendant. His fa- the, the filly's father was Frankel. Now, anyone who's followed horse racing would know the name Frankel rang a few bells in my head. Didn't ring many, but I did a quick search uh, to find out what he'd done. And Frankel retired in 2012 after winning every single race that he ran in. He ran all 14 of his races. He retired at the age of four, gone to stud. He's now worth 125 million pounds. Um, so, uh, you know, these horses, he's wrapped up in well and truly in cotton wool in case he does anything wrong or catches the cold or anything. And uh, uh, Franco had bred this little foal, this little filly, and the owner had put him up for sale and he'd made all this money. But of course that was only half the story. You had Franco on the one side who had won all these races. On the other side you had another horse, uh, and I don't, this name doesn't trip off the tongue quite so smoothly, it's uh, F- uh, Finseal Boa. And apparently that's Gaelic for living legend. And the living legend won a very prestigious race, the Thousand Guineas in England and, a, and the Thousand Guineas in Ireland. And so you had these two sources of, of genes coming together. And so the, uh, the new owner of this filly is hoping that they have the best genes from both and they will have a winner too. That will be unbeatable. You see, that's the importance of the genes. That's why the roots... Uh, are often considered important. I often get people come to me and they say, Tim, we saw your dad the other day. We didn't need to be introduced to him. We just knew it was your dad. And I thought, (laughs) you you spend all your life trying not to be like your parents, but you end up just like them. And um, the people keep bumping into my dad, especially in Ross, and uh, and, uh, they they just know it's my dad for some strange reason. You know, it's, it's in our genes, isn't it? We can't hide these things. And so what was in Jesus' genes demonstrated something quite powerful, that he was the fulfillment of God's promise, God's promised one. And so Jesus not only was that fulfillment then, but he continues to be the fulfillment today. But then there's a third thing that Luke wanted them to know, and that's this. The Luke's reverse order highlights Jesus' humanity. 
Luke's reverse order, you know, he, he sort of went back, right back up to Adam, starting with, um, with Joseph. Jesus was the son of Joseph, and then working backwards. And, and so that's reverse order. And this is, this is uh, how it, the scripture um, explains it here. It says, Kenan was the son of Enosh. Enosh was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam was the son of God. And that, that is the end of the chapter. But then what is the next words of scripture? What is the next words of scripture? The next words of scripture in chapter 4 is this. Then Jesus. Then Jesus. Then Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the river Jordan. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Have you ever been tempted? I have. And I'm sure each one of us, if we're honest, have been tempted. Because that's part of being a human being. That's part of our humanity. And Jesus was both fully God, but also fully human. And so he was tempted. And so Luke is making a powerful point. He's saying, look, he's one of us. He goes back to Adam. But he's also God at the same time. He's one of us. And he was, because he goes back to Adam, he is And he was tempted, just like every other man, woman, boy and girl who's walked this planet. See, Jesus was fully human. That's why he was able to be God's chosen one. That's why he was able to accomplish all that he accomplished, because he was fully hum- human, but yet without sin. And so that was a really important point that Luke wanted to, to get over to his, his Gentile readers, that this man, who was God's promised one, was also fully human at the same time. But then lastly, Adam shows Jesus' story, his humanity's story. You know, going right back to Adam, it shows that Jesus' story is humanity's story. You see, Adam was created in a perfect, sinless world. I mean, can you imagine it? It must have been amazing, wasn't it? I mean, the world we live in is incredible as it is. But yet, take out sin and all, the, all that goes with sin and wrongdoing. I mean, this place would just be phenomenal. That's how God made it. That's where he put Adam in that sinless world. Yet Adam sinned. Adam sinned. And he took from that fruit of the tree the knowledge of good and evil. And because of his one act of sin, we are all sinners. Each one of us. Everyone that's descended from Adam are sinners. You see, when he was... Looking at that fruit, the serpent came to him and said, Look, you know, you won't die. You'll be like God if you take that fruit. And so Adam thought, Hmm, I fancy being like God. And he took some and he ate it. And so for us, every time we feel like being like God and want to be first and put ourselves first in our lives rather than God first, 
we are being sinful. We're being sinful. And instead of being like, be, be, becoming godly, we are wanting to be like God. Whereas the Bible wants us to become godly. That's what God wants us to become, godly, like Jesus. Because we instinctively want to be God. We want to be in control. We want to put our own interests first. And we want to um, just to... We'll always put ourselves first, even the nicest and best of us. If we could actually see our motivations behind some of the things we do, maybe they aren't actually as good as what we like to give the impression they are. And that is sin. And so that one act of sin on Adam brought condemnation and death to each one of us. But then contrast that, when Jesus came to this earth, he came into a world filled with sin. Filled with death. And yet Jesus did not sin, the Bible tells us. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus came as a saviour to bring release, to bring freedom, to bring forgiveness. And because of his one act on that cross, he became our deliverer, our rescuer. So that one act of Adam has changed the whole of history. But then that one act from Jesus, as he stepped into history, has transformed history forever so that we can be rescued from sin, so that we can know and experience new life, so that we can have hope in a world which is filled with death, so that we can have confidence for the future where otherwise there would not be confidence. You see, I said Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote it in Romans and explained it like this, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He said, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death for this one man, Jesus Christ. That is why he wanted his readers to know about Jesus that is why he wanted his readers to take note of Jesus. Jesus was relevant to both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus is relevant to everyone. Jesus is relevant to you this morning, whether you think so or not. Because Jesus stands here this morning as your deliverer if you choose to accept him by faith. You see, we've had this 
Ebola crisis recently, and it's still going on, and, and thousands of people's lives have been taken because of Ebola. I saw on telly the other night, some of you probably saw it too, the man whose um, wife, I think it was, was the first Ebola victim. And she died, and his daughter and his son had died, and his whole life had been absolutely devastated. But from that one woman, the Ebola had spread to thousands of people. And it seems like 50% of people that come into contact with Ebola die. It's pretty grim. Well, do you know what? Sin is worse. 100% death rate. There's a 100% death rate. Of course, we don't physically die instantaneously. But Adam was meant to live forever, and he did die. God was gracious and let him live for a while on this earth. And he does the same with each one of us. But there comes a point where for every one of us, the Bible says, for all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And so the death rate for sin is 100%. That is the, the bad news. But yet with the bad news goes the good news. And the good news is that Jesus came to rescue so that we don't have to die. That when our body sees decay and goes into the grave, our spirits go to live with Jesus forever. And that we'll have a new body. And we'll have a spiritual body. And we'll go to be with him. For all who trust in Jesus to forgive their sins, they have this hope. See, Jesus was the second Adam. You see, we're tied into Adam, but yet Jesus stepped into history to release us from sin and from guilt and from condemnation. And so we no need to no longer live under condemnation, but we can be released. One of the joys I have as being a pastor is seeing God working in people's lives. I describe that couple that got remarried as God worked in their lives and did a miracle. Just earlier on this year, we, we ran a Christianity Explored course for people who were exploring faith. A bit like, um, um, was it Mark? I don't know what it was, but, um, who explained how he was exploring the issues of faith. And um, one lady called Kirstine came along. Never been to church in her life, apart from perhaps to a Catholic school when she was younger. She was 48. She said, I was really happy. My life is going well. My husband has a good job. He earns she, so much so she doesn't have to work. And she has four very healthy boys. Life is good. But she'd seen something different in a neighbor and a work colleague. And so she started inquiring, why are these two people just... Something about them that I just am drawn to. Something attractive which I don't see in anyone else. And so she started inquiring and she found out both these two people were Christians. And, and they were chatting to her and sharing their faith with her. And so uh, one day uh, one of them said to her, well, you know what, we're doing a Christianity Explored course in our church. Would you like to come? She said, it's funny you say that. I really think I must, I must take one of these Alphary kind of courses up sometime. So she said to us the other day, I wonder where that thought came from. <laughs> And so she came to the Christianity Explore course. And as she was going through the course, she had loads and loads of questions. And she was exploring faith. And um, eventually one day she suddenly said, look, do you know what? It's simple, isn't it? It's really easy. She said, you can either have a good ending or you can have a bad ending. It's actually not that complicated. I get it. I can either continue to live 
in this sinful state under the condemnation I'm under and feeling the guilt and all the other things, I know that one day I will die. And actually, I will go to hell. Or I can come to faith in Jesus. I can have my sins forgiven. I can have new life. And I can have hope. And I know one day my body will die, but I will live forever with him in heaven. She said, it's not that difficult. I'm going for the, first, the, for the, for the latter option. I'm going to go with Jesus on this. And uh, she said that she explained how she was sat in her kitchen. She just in floods of tears. She just confessed her sins to Christ. And she trusted him. You see, that's how it is. She just got it. But somehow, so often, the God of this world blinds our minds to the truth of the good news about Jesus. And so Luke wanted his hearers to, to grasp this good news. That Jesus, the second Adam, had come. And Jesus, the second Adam, had died on the cross so that they did not have to pay the price for their sin. So they could trust in Jesus and they could live forever with him. Do you know what Christine came to me the other day and she said, I realized I had someone in my life who I felt I could never forgive. Someone had done something so awful I could, I'd said to my husband, I will never, ever, 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 ever forgive them. She actually said, I found myself on holiday with my husband camping in Scotland saying, writing a letter just saying to this person how much they forgave them. And she said her husband would just like, his eyes popped out of his head. said, well, what? what you, you forg- why are you doing that? And he couldn't understand it. But that is the change that the Holy Spirit brings about in the life of a person when they trust in Jesus. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Where there was no forgiveness before, suddenly this woman was able to forgive. And that's the signs that God's at work in her life. And she said she actually met up with that lady and had a great time together and just put it all right. You see, that's what happens. It's not just something for the future. When you trust Christ, it changes your life today. It really does. And so, has, I have a question for each of you, and that's simply this. Has Jesus' story become your story? You know, have you asked Jesus to forgive you for your sin? Have you put your tr- faith and trust in him? And do you have that certainty and assurance? You see, Paul goes on and explains it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is, is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. You see, that is the promise. That if we trust in Christ, we will have that spiritual, spiritual body. We'll be like that heavenly man, Jesus. He starts that process in our lives, just like he started in Kirstein's life recently on this earth. And it moves forward, right on into eternity. And then he goes on in the previous a few verses of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, and he says these words, Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but then we raise to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, 
but they will be raised in strength. They were buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. And then the climax of this whole passage is these words right at the end of the chapter, chapter 15, verse 56. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But, but, thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is Jesus your story? Is Jesus Christ your story? Do you have victory over sin and death? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you have that sense of God at work in your life and that assurance for the future? Because that can be ours. That is the message that Luke wanted his readers to grasp hold of. Because Jesus is vital. Jesus is necessary whether we're Jews or we're Gentiles. I just want to tell one story before I close. I'm going to have communion. And that's just lovely that we're going to have communion because that's what communion is all about. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. His blood was shed. When I was a kid, I used to love going to uh, <coughs> shows with my father. And he used to take us in you know, a show like Three Counties Show, Mama's Show, and, and other shows around, Rural Show when it was on. And um, I'm one of four sons, and the three of us were out on farming. And so we would go with Dad to these shows. And uh, because he was in the agricultural world, because he would buy products from different companies, we, we used to go around as kids, you know, sort of like early teens, and he'd let us loose. And uh, we would go up to some trade stand where we knew our dad did business. And uh, we would traumatize the poor um, reps on the stand, and we'd speak to them, and they would be wanting to get rid of us, and we'd say, you know, of course, you know, you know our dad, don't you? Theo Cracknell. Oh, you're Theo's sons, are you? Oh, come on in. Yeah. Do you want a drink? Yes, have a drink. Oh, do you want some biscuits? There's some biscuits. Uh, sandwich? Oh, yes, sandwich. And of course, we used to enjoy this. It was great. We used to love it. And do you know what made the difference? It's because of who our father was. It was because of our father. You know, if we, if we could have said, Theo Cracknell's my father or some other person they recognized, they would have probably just given us a short shrift and say, get lost, you little urchins. <laughs> but because of who our father was, it made all the difference and we were accepted and we were welcomed in to privilege. That is what it's like when we can know that Jesus is our father. When we know that Jesus is our savior. He welcomes us in. And and we receive from him the privilege of being his sons, his daughters. Our sins are forgiven. We have an inheritance in heaven waiting for us, all laid up, all because he's our saviour. And so as I just close, I just want to leave this with you. Can you say, Jesus is my father? Jesus is my saviour. If you can, well, you can enter into the communion which we're going to take in a few moments and you can just be so thankful to God that he has saved you and be reminded that it was real blood that he shed on that cross, that Jesus died to make it possible. His body was broken so that you might have the privilege of being his child. But if you can't this morning, well, just don't leave it there. 
take that step of faith and just pray a simple prayer of commitment to Jesus, asking him to forgive you your sin and trusting him today. And do you know what? He will hear your prayer. And just like Kirstine, who crossed from death to life, from a, good e- from a bad ending to a good ending, so you can have that experience too, even here in Abbey today. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is that second Adam, that he came into a sinful world, lived a sinless life, that we might know forgiveness of sins. And Lord, maybe for some today, we just need to reach out in faith to you. And so just in this quietness, in the quietness of our hearts, Lord, just we do. And just ask those of you who just want to reach out to him, just, just reach out. The words aren't important. It's what's going on in your heart that's important. Just take this opportunity. Lord, I'm a sinner. I trust you today. Lord, thank you that now you are my Father. Whatever words you use, God will hear and understand. Lord, I just thank you for those of us here who have just been trusting you for many years. We thank you that we are able to look at the bread and the wine on the table and it reminds us of what it cost you to bring about our salvation. The sending of your son, Jesus, as that second Adam, that we might be rescued. Thank you, Lord, for him. How we praise you now. Amen. Thank you.